our world. When you think about the Bible, we live in a fallen world, and our culture uh, is contrary to the Word of God. And we'd like to make a difference, but when we look at our world, how would we describe our world and our culture? You know, you could say good and bad. Let me say it this way. You could say good, because some say it's the greatest time ever to live upon the earth, because you have this technology and computers and emails and cell phones and medicine and advances and travel opportunities. You could do things that it's almost impossible for other generations to ever do. But at the same time, we say it's bad because we look at the moral values, especially in our country, especially in the United States in the last 20 to 25 years. The changes are so dramatic that if we lived 25 years ago and they jumped us up here, we would say, this is impossible. It can't be this way. Uh, Some of the things that come across the airways, the movies that shock us, we worry about our children and grandchildren, what's going to happen there. And so when we say our world, we could say it's a, it's a good time, one of the greatest times ever to live with the, all the things that are there, but it's also one of the bad times. If someone were to ask you, how would you describe your world and your culture? What would you might say? Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at the world and the culture of Paul. What was it like when he was a Jewish man living in a Roman world? And last time we started the study of Paul very briefly, and we wanted to know about him and everything. And so what we said is that when you think about Paul, there are three aspects, really, of you could say it. You could say that Paul was a writer. He wrote 13 letters of the the New Testament. He had messages of salvation. He had how to live as a believer. One of the things, just do this sometime. Go to Paul's letters and look at it, and you'll find that the first part of the letter is always dealing with who we are, and the last part of the letter is always how we live. If you say Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, who we are in Christ, 4, 5, and 6, who, uh, how we're to live out who we are in Christ, and almost all of his letters do that. There will be uh, parts that will say, this is this, this is this, this is this now, because this is true, this is how we live. So he was a great, you know, God used him to write 13 letters, but he was a traveler, he was a church planner, three missionary journeys uh, to the known world, leading people to Christ, forming churches. He just was an amazing person. And, you know, when a, a lot of people say... Uh, evangelist. You know, when people think of evangelists, they think of a person that comes to a town and has a big meeting, draws everybody in. Evangelist in the Bible is a person that went into places, led people to Christ, formed churches, and then left to go somewhere else. That's what Paul was. He was an evangelist too. So when, when people say evangelism, it wasn't just a guy going around talking. It was a person going around, leading people to Christ, training them and equipping them, getting them into smaller groups, starting churches, and that's what we see Paul doing. And then he's called the preacher. And when we say the preacher, he's the one that, he said, preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. He's the one with the message of grace, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you're saved through faith and that not yourselves a gift of God, not of worse lest anyone should boast. He would say that salvation is by Jesus Christ, it's based on the grace of God. So when you think about him, he was amazing. He was amazing in all of those things. And then here's sort of the, a brief outline of what we're going to look at. We're still in the background part. We're going to start looking uh, pretty soon at his conversion, and then we're going to see his early ministry, missionary journeys. We're going to see his last days, what happened to him, and then we're going to talk about his theology, his letters, and, his, and sort of a summary. So that's coming, and, and we'll see it as we put it together. What do we know about Paul? Well, his name was Saul, who, whose other name was Paul. Most, most Jewish boys had two names. Saul, he was Saul, called Saul, Paul, Saul. He was probably named after the first king of Israel, Saul. And the word uh, Saul means ask, the name means ask. And then the word Paul actually means little. 
And so his name was Saul Paul, and we saw his last description. It was weird. He was kind of a smaller guy with maybe reddish hair, bald-headed, uh, eyebrow going across, a big nose, bow-legged, uh, maybe something wrong with his eyes. We talked about that. And so when you look at this guy, you'd say he's not the most handsome person that you would think, but yet God took him, and he would go right into places. And when he wrote the letter to the Galatians, he wrote that he said, you received me as an angel of God. He said, if it had been possible, you'd have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That's what he says in the letter to the Galatians. So he was an amazing man. Paul said, my appearance is weak, but my words are weighty. They're mighty. At age five, he probably started studying the Bible. At age 10, uh, he started getting into it more. About age 15, he'd have a bar mitzvah, which means he'd be the son of the commandments. Probably at that time, he was uh, moved from Tarsus, which is his hometown, to go study in Jerusalem under the great teacher of the day. teacher of the day was named Gamaliel. Paul writes about it. It actually says that I was probably the top student. And he was a Pharisee and probably the top student. So if you knew Paul... When he was called Saul and he was growing up, uh, he might be cocky because he knew a lot. I mean, he was a pretty incredible guy. We're going to talk more about him in a minute. But think about this. He, I mean, he, uh, we're going to say he, had a, he was a Roman citizen. He knew Greek. He knew Hebrew. He knew Latin. He was the top teacher. I mean, he, I mean, top student and the great teacher. So, so as we think about him, Paul was a Pharisee. And you say, Pharisee? Every time I think of Pharisee, I think of something bad. And so let me give you just sort of our of the world at that time. Here are the four major sects. There's more sects than this, but these are the four. Pharisees were the people who actually held to the Bible. The law became the means of salvation. They would really, they liked the, the Torah, but they liked the whole Bible. They said that the Bible, and of course this is the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nebim, the Ketamim, the law, the writing, the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. They loved it. And they, 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 they not only said the Bible was the key, but they added all kind of rules and laws and everything else. And before you knew it, that law was, became the means of salvation and all the rules and everything. Uh, they started good, but they were not very good. And by the time of Christ, Pharisees were very legalistic. They didn't like Christ at all. They didn't like Jesus at all. Then the Sadducees, and you would be embarrassed by the Sadducees because the Sadducees were the priestly group, but they didn't believe in supernatural resurrection or angels. Now, do you understand that the, Fer- that the Sadducees at the time of Jesus were mostly the priest, and they didn't believe life after death? They thought when you died, that was it. They didn't hold to angels. They didn't hold to anything supernatural. Uh, they didn't hold to resurrection. They didn't. And so you think of the priest at the time of Christ, Annas and Caiaphas, all those people. That if you said to them, do you think, what happens to you when you die? And they said, that's it. So that's what the Sadducees were. We have this old joke. We'd say they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in anything after life. And then the Herodians were the followers of Herod. Herod was a family. There was Herod the Great, and then he had sons, and the land was divided up among all these sons, and there was Herod Antipas and Herod Agrippa, and there were all these different Herods. And there were people who wanted the Herods to stay in power because they, they it, you know, it's sort of a political deal. I mean, you might want the person that you think will help you get into power, let them stay in power, and you work with that. And then there were the Zealots, which were mostly Jewish people. They hated the Roman people. Hated Roman, they hated Roman soldiers especially. They were violent. They killed people. Uh, they were uh, almost like a terrorist group because what they would say is, our job, our role is to kill Roman soldiers and kill Roman citizens because we hate the Romans because they enslave us and all of these kind of things. So that was the four main groups. And Paul was a Pharisee. And so if you said to Paul about being a Pharisee, he'd say, oh yeah, yeah, I knew the Bible. I know it all. And look at this right here. So Paul was Jewish. 
a Pharisee, a Roman citizen. He knew the Old Testament. He understood the Torah. He knew the traditions. He knew Roman law. He knew the writers of that day. He was brilliant, and he knew Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, and probably Latin as well. Okay, so he knew all of that. And so if you looked at a guy like that and you'd say, my gracious. I mean, let me ask you something. Let's take John, the Gospel of John. John was Jewish. Was he a Pharisee? No. Was he a Roman citizen? No. Did he know much of the Bible? We don't know. He probably knew some of it. Did he, did he understand Roman law? Probably not. Could, was he even educated? We might not have been able to read. We don't know. He did. He, later on, he learned to write. Of course, he might have known some Greek and Hebrew and maybe some Aramaic. But look at Paul. What an incredible life. Oswald Sanders says this. He says, it is doubtful that there was any other Christian man of the first century like Paul, a Jew living in a Greek city with Roman citizenship, both by birth and by training. Paul possessed the tenacity of a Jew, the culture of a Greek, the practicality of the Roman, and all of these qualities enabled him to be used in a mighty way. Think about this. The tenacity of the Jew... The culture of the Greek. You know, we talk about Rome, but the Greco-Macedonian Empire and their culture carried right on. That's what, I mean, they, they spoke Greek. They spoke Greek. I mean, the Bible was in Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. I mean, that culture, the Greek culture just carried it right on. And then, of course, the, the practicality of the Romans. I mean, they, you know, they had, a, they had Roman law. And then, so you see, God is preparing or prepared Paul. Now, here's a question. You know he's preparing you. He's still working. He's still doing it. But he's preparing us. What's your background? How did you grow up? What about your family? What about your parents? What is your background? Some of you grew up in little, little small towns. And some of you grew up in big towns. Some of you high school had 32 people in it. And some of you had a high school like me that had, had just in my graduating class, 780-something people. You know? I didn't even know the people. I didn't know some of the, I didn't know a lot of the people in my senior class. I know some of you that knew everybody in your whole school. See, different ways we grew up. What about parents? Some of you grew up in church, and that from the time you were a baby, you heard the message of salvation, and you went to Sunday school and everything else. And I, I, I went to church twice before I trusted Christ when I was 19. So what, what are the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given to you? Think about what they might be. Some of you may have the gift of teaching. Some of you have the gift of health. Some of you have the gift of administration. Some of you have the gift of giving. Some of you have the gift of mercy. So God has gifted you and says, now I've got you here for this time. And then you think about the circumstance. Where have you been? Where are you now? Did you know I, I've, I've been to Israel and I've been to the Olympics? I would have never thought, if you'd asked me when I was in high school, would you ever go to Israel? I'd go, why would I want to go to Israel? And then if you said, would you go to Olympics? I'd go, I always want to go to Olympics, but I would never get to go to the Olympics. I got to do so many things. I got, I got to do so many things that God has shaped my life and yours too. Why are you here? Why has he left us here? What is he planning to do with us? What is he planning to do with you? You could look at Paul and say, Paul, guess what? You're Jewish. I'll let you grow up there. I'll let you get studied here. I'll let you have Roman citizenship. I'll let you be really smart. I'll let you know how to write. I'll let you have education. I put all this in there. Now I'm going to send you out. 
Wow. Some of you, the, the first youth camp I ever went to, I was a counselor. <laughs> I never went as a child, you know. Now the pastor says, I want you to come and I want you to be in one of the cabins and help these kids. And I went, I've never been to a camp. He said, that's okay. You'll be okay. It was one of the great times of my life. And now I get to go. They invite me and they say, you want to go to camp and teach? And I go, oh, I'd love to go to camp. Yeah, I just don't want to sleep in those little bed things. But anyway, it's really fun. What's the circumstances of your life? It is amazing to me how many people have gone to church all their lives and they don't know anything. Many believers do not understand the gospel in presenting the message. Most believers do not know how to share their faith, and they don't even know what the gospel message is. We, you, sometimes we ask people at membership training, and I'll say, if you were to die, will you go to heaven? They go, yes. I go, why? And they can't answer it. They can't say, because I put my faith, I believe in Jesus Christ. He's given me eternal life. I believed in him, and that was his promise to me. They can't say that. They don't say that. They just look at me, and they go, because I, I believe in God. I said, what does that have to do with anything? Let's face it, right? What does it have to do with anything? Say, I believe in God. I mean, most people, they don't know how to study the Bible. We have a thing called observation, interpretation, application. We show you how to observe. If, those little, if anybody's got one of those little cards, one of those bookmarks, on the back of the bookmark is, a, is exactly how to study the Bible. There's observation with the questions. There's in, uh, interpretation in the questions and application in the questions. So you could take that little card, that little uh, bookmark, and if you didn't know, you could flip that thing over and you could say, okay, I'm going to look at this passage and I'm going to ask these questions. Most people don't know how to study the Bible. You ever been to a Bible study where they all sit around in a room and somebody says, would somebody read Galatians 4, 1 through 5? And somebody reads it and then they say, what does that mean to you? Well, look, you haven't even studied it. How you going to know, how you gonna know what the, the interpretation is? You had not even looked at it. You hadn't observed it. You've just read it. And now everybody's going to give their opinion. Most believers don't know Bible history. They don't have this together. That's one reason I did a study last fall, Jesus and his world, because it went all the way back and showed the flow of the history, especially with the, 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 the Babylonians, the Syrians, and the Greco-Macedonians, and, and the Romans, and coming into the time of Christ, what it was like. And then most people don't know the basics of the Christian life. They just don't know them. If I said to you, Romans chapter 6 is probably the most important chapter in the New Testament for the Christian life, most people go, we don't even know what Romans chapter 6 is about. How can that be the most important chapter? Adam teaches a whole class on it. A whole class on Romans chapter 6 and, and that, that aspect of it. So great, great stuff. So where are we? Has God got you ready? He's working in your life. He worked in Paul's life. Let's talk about Paul's world let me look at time. I, I, sometimes I get carried away. So we see that when you start looking at Paul, somebody asked me, how old is Paul? I think Paul was probably born about the same time as Jesus. I, I think when Jesus was in his early 30s when he died, I think Paul was there. Uh, he may have been at the cross, I don't know. And, but he was about that age. And Paul died when, in the 60s. He died about 66, 67. And so he, he could have he you know, been 
in his late 60s when he, he died. Uh, when you think about him, look at the flow. God allowed the Assyrians to come in in 721, 722 B.C. and wipe out the northern kingdom. And in 585, the Babylonians came in and wiped out the southern kingdom. And then after 70 years, they let them come back. And there were the Greco-Macedonians, the Medes and Persians and Greco-Macedonians. And then the Romans came. And 63 B.C., they came under Roman dominance. And Rome ruled the world. And think about it. So here's Paul. Of course, he... You know, he's not born yet in 63, but the idea that Rome came in there, they subjugated the world, they conquered the world with a two-edged sword called the Machaira sword, the, Rome, the Roman soldiers. They defeated everyone. They had what they call Pax Romanus, which means the peace of Rome, which means now everything's in place. They had, have you ever heard the saying, all roads lead to where? All roads lead to Rome because the Roman roads, they had a road system, and everything led to Rome, and you could travel safely during the time of the Roman Empire, at least at the time of Christ and at the time of Paul, you could travel fairly safely on those main roads because the Romans ruled them. And they had soldiers everywhere and they had this system. So what were the Jewish people like at the time of, of Christ? Uh, at the time, let's just say Paul because it's the same time, but Jesus, let's say Jesus, they, they, there were Jews living in the land. They spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. They also spoke Greek, but they were called living in Palestine. But then there were Jews that were scattered over the world, and they were called the diaspora, which means dispersion. There were Jews all over the world. Paul was one. Paul didn't grow up in the land. He grew up in Turkey, well, modern day, but Asia Minor at that time. He grew up in Tarsus. So he was a diaspora, but that didn't mean he wasn't Jewish. The Jews hated the Romans, and they hated any nation that ruled them. They always wanted and considered themselves to be free people. When they were arguing over being Pharisees, and the Pharisees said to Jesus, we are free, we have never been in subject to anyone. What an idiotic statement. They're being subject to the Romans right then. And the Greco-Macedonians. And the Medes and the Persians. And the Babylonians. And the Assyrians. And the Egyptians. So you can't, you know, it was a, a dumb statement. The tax burden was amazing at the time of Jesus Christ, at the time of Paul. Okay, picture yourself. You're a Jewish family. Every, every time you gave 10% to the temple, you gave 10% every year to the priest. That's 20%. Every third year, you gave another 10% for the widows and orphans and the temple. So you gave 30% away every year, 20% every year, 30% every three years, and 20% every year. That's not counting your free will offerings. Tithing is not worship. See, when people say, I'm going to worship God, I'm going to tithe. Well, if you're giving it because you have to give it, that's not an act of worship. That's required. We give as we purpose in our heart, not grudgingly in necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. So the Jewish people gave 20% every year, 30% every three years. Then they still had their free will offerings. And then under Roman taxes, often 50% of what they had was taxed under Romans. So think about the taxes and the giving and everything at the time of Christ. The Jewish people, they, they, they had nothing. That's one of the reasons they hated the Romans so much, because the Romans were taking everything. But something happened. In Galatians 4.4, 4, where I told you to turn, it says... But when the fullness of time came, exactly the right time, God sent forth his son, 
born of a woman, born under law, so that he might redeem those who were under law. He came. Jesus Christ came. See, the world was ready for Jesus. The religions had failed. They looked at gods and goddesses, and all gods and goddesses were, were just big, angry people. That's all they were. And then it was all bankrupt. Under Rome, they had the languages and the road. They had the message that could spread. And the Jews, some of them were actually expecting uh, Messiah. So Jesus came. He was born in Bethlehem. 30 years later, he began the ministry. And for three, three and a half years, he had this ministry. He healed people. He proclaimed the message that he was the Messiah. He entered Jerusalem as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They killed him. He died and was rose again. And walking on the earth for 40 days, he ascended back to heaven. And the followers became what is known as the way, the new way. And at the beginning, there was great opposition. In the beginning, the opposition, uh, uh, most believed that they were connected with the Jews, and the Jews hated Jesus. And then later, the opposition came even from the Romans, uh, because at first, Romans looked at Christians and said, they're just part of the Jews, and we'll just leave them alone. But the Jews hated the Christians, and they were after them. And then the Romans eventually said, I don't think they are part of these Jews, so we need to stop them as well. And so that's the persecution began. By the way, uh, when Jesus died in 30, 33, then around 50, 52, 55, there was persecution came, 60, 67, great persecution, Peter and Paul were both killed. And then you get to 70, 70 to 72, 73, great persecution, you get on up to the hundreds, and they, just, uh, they started killing. I mean, it, the persecution lasted for years. It lasted until the Edict of Milan, and when Constantinople, and when Constantine decided that uh, Jesus had given him the victory over his enemy, and he declared all people in the Roman Empire Christians and that Christianity was the recognized religion of Rome. That was in the 300s. And that was really probably the worst thing that could happen to the church because at that time they, they fought and lived and proclaimed Christ and died for Christ, and then it became the accepted religion, and then you got what's called religion, and you got popes and riches and buildings and all of the stuff that came out of all that because there was no more persecution. It became ridiculous, ridiculous. What did Paul do? Paul said he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's what he is. Well, how'd that happen? How did that happen? Well, it happened that there was a man, his name was Stephen, he was full of grace and power, and he was performing great wonders and signs. But some of the men from what is called the synagogue of the free men includes both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia in Asia. Uh, Asia. Where was Paul from? He was from Cilicia, which is Tarsus of Cilicia. And they rose up and argued with Stephen, and they hated Stephen, and Stephen would answer their questions, but he made them look silly. And I think Paul was in that group, by the way. I think Paul was from the synagogue from Cilicia, which is where Tarsus is, and they were arguing with Stephen, and they would say stuff like, well, you're wrong because the law says this, and Stephen says, well, here's how it works, and he confronted them, and they couldn't handle it, so what did they do? They killed him. They killed him. They brought him out, and then Paul began ravaging the church, going house to house, dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. When Stephen was killed, Paul held everybody's coats while they threw the rocks to kill Stephen. Paul even says it. He said, I held their coats. He says, uh, I did a lot of bad things. In fact, he said, in 1 Timothy, I'm a blasphemer because I spoke against God. I was a persecutor because I went after the church, and I was an aggressor because I wanted to destroy and kill people. Now, if you'd have been alive then, and you said, 
What about this man? You think he's going to believe in Jesus? What would you say? No, you'd say, no, of course not. Of course not. I mean, he's, not only is he evil, he's against us all. He's trying to kill us all. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, I persecuted the church of God. That's why Paul says, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Paul said he's the worst of all sinners. So at least that's good for all of us. He says he's the worst sinner of all. The worst we could be is number two. Right? I mean, think about it, because he's, he's the worst one. He said, I persecuted the church. He said, I was against everything, and I was going to kill him. Wonder why? We're going to read it probably next week. Paul is on the way to Damascus to get Christians of the way. And on the road, he sees Jesus. We'll talk about it. I'll talk about it real briefly right here. Details next week. He sees Jesus and... Jesus says, who are you? And he says, I'm the Lord, basically. And he says, why are you kicking against the goads? People go, what is the world? Anybody know what a goad thing is? It's a stick that you poke your animals with to move them along. And Paul, God is saying to Paul, I've been sticking you, and you're not going the way I want you to go. Because see, here's what I think. I think Paul saw Stephen die. And he saw Stephen stand for God and die. And I think if you said, Paul, would you die for the law? Because you're a Pharisee and you think the law is what's right. I think Paul would have said, I don't think I would die for the law. But he died for Christ. And I think Paul, part of his persecution was to stop the voices saying something that he knew was probably right and he was wrong. I think that's what's happened. And when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, immediately he said, what do you want me to do? He said, well, first of all, I want you to go into the city. I got a guy that's going to come and and, uh, actually going to, because you're not going to be able to see. As soon as you get up off the ground, you're not going to be able to see, and I got a guy that's going to come take care of you. But he says, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, and you will see how much you will suffer for my sake. That a way you want to start ministry? What if we called you in and said, hey, we got ministry for you today, and guess what it is? God says you're going to really suffer greatly. So everybody want to sign up to suffer greatly, get signed right over here. We meet on Wednesday night. <laughs> Nobody going to sign that. That's what it was. Wow. He's going after the way. He went to the high priest for letters to go to Damascus to get the believers. See, Damascus wasn't part of Israel at that time. It's part of Syria. And there were believers up there, and he had to have a written letter from the high priest to be able to cross over and to show the people in Damascus, I'm going uh, with, with some letters from the high priest so I can do this. He's going after the way, the new way, this way, these people who follow Jesus. Alexander White was a, is a great writer. He, was, he lived back in the 1800s. Here's what he said. There is a divine hand in every... Con- it's, supposed, it's supposed to say conversion. Does that say Conversion. Uh, see, I have dyslexia, so I don't know what that says. It says, well, there's a divine hand in every conversation, probably is, but sometimes it's, the devil's in some of them as well. But uh, they're supposed to say conversion. There's a divine hand in every conversion, and that's what, what, what we see. And so God is working. God was working in things to get me to go down the hall that night to wander into a Bible study and hear the message. God was working in your life where he got you to the place 
Now, I'm not saying he makes you believe. I don't think he does. I don't think he, I don't think, I don't believe election that God picks people to be saved. I think election is service. I think God picks people to serve. But I think he works in our lives. And every one of you can look back of when you believed in Christ for eternal life, when the first time you've grasped this and understand it, and you start looking back and you see, gee, I just happened to be there at this time, there over there. Uh, God is working in everything. And Paul just happens to be on the road to Damascus to arrest believers and persecute them when he meets Jesus Christ. Well, let me, time is up, so let's do this. Let's get some application. Let's understand that God is preparing each of us for service and ministry. You think about Paul's background in life. How, how God, I mean, it, we look at it, you can say, Paul was perfect for, for what God sent him to do. He was. And we think about our background, our family, our training. You're perfect for what God has for you to do. Now, the problem is for a lot of believers, they don't do anything. So they're going to miss out. And one day when they stand before Christ... He, he won't say, well done. He'll say, you missed it. You missed it. You weren't faithful. You didn't do what I had for you to do. I gave you gifts, talents, abilities. I put you in the right place at the right time, and you weren't faithful. I mean, that's sad, but it's true. Second, let's, under, let's be ready to share the truth about God and his word to people, because that's what Paul did. Think about it. And, and when we study his life, it's going to be amazing. I got this right here. I said, that, that be ready to share those in opposition you know what Paul says about sharing your faith with those in opposition? He says, do it with gentleness and love. We often argue, but he said, do it with gentleness and love. You know, when he went to Athens, I'm going to throw this out. He went to Athens, and they had thousands, thousands of gods. They had God, this, God, this, and they had a place that had to unknown God. They didn't, they didn't, know who, they didn't want to leave out a God, so they just put one unknown God. And when Paul went to Mars Hill... And they asked him questions. He said, he didn't say, you guys are idiots. You worship false gods. He didn't say that at all. You know what he said? He said, you know, up here, you guys are really religious. And I noticed you had one that said, unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. That's how Paul did it. Gentleness and love. Well, how, how do we deal with those who are open to God's truth? Love and joy. We say, we got some great news for you. Have you ever talked to somebody and said, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? And they say, I don't, I don't really know. I don't think so. And then you say, would you like for me to show you how you can know that you have eternal life? Wow. That's called love and joy. Okay. The third one, let, let's be able to tell us our testimony. How you believed in Jesus Christ? See, we're going to look. Paul gives his testimony at least two times in the book of Acts. Can you give your testimony? If I said, hey, come up here, stand right here, and tell people how you believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Most people say, I, I don't know. I've never, I've never done that. I've never written it down. And then when they write it down, it's terrible. You can't read it. It doesn't make any sense. They write five pages on how bad they were before they became a believer. They don't even mention how they became a believer. And then they write three pages on what they do after they became a believer. And then so people look at it, and they think, uh, uh, you're bad before you're a believer. You're good after a believer. They don't even understand. Your testimony is how you believed in Christ for eternal life. That's what your testimony is. It isn't how you live before and how you live after. It's how you believed in Christ for eternal life. And if you want to learn how to do it, get with Brian. In, in the 412 class that he teaches, he teaches people how to give a testimony. And it's amazing. When, uh, I, I just got to keep going. When... Um, when I, when I trusted Christ, uh, I trusted Christ like on a Thursday night. I went to church for the first time on Sunday morning with a group of the guys that led me to Christ. 
was sitting in church. One of the guys talking is one of the football players. They didn't have a pastor at this little church, and he was doing it Sunday morning, and he said, everybody come back tonight. We have a young guy who just believed in Christ this week, and he's going to give his testimony. And I looked at my friend named Ray Bridges, and I said, who's he talking about? He said, you. I said, I've never given a testimony. He said, we'll teach you this afternoon, and they did, and I did, and I was scared to death.